Hey, it's Jess here. So excited about this episode of Where To From Here. I have Mary Beth Romslow in conversation. Mary Beth is a director, cinematographer, and producer who believes that well-told stories have the power to change the world. Her award-winning films have played at festivals across the globe. Recent projects include an original documentary series called Handmade Mostly that was on Reese Witherspoon's new media platform called Hello Sunshine. In this episode, Mary Beth and I talk in depth about a conceptual dance film she made called Kitchen Dance. You know, she's also worked on a historical fiction content series called Spark. Uh, project to inspire girls interested in STEM, and also a documentary about student free speech in America called Raise Your Voice. I love Mary Beth's work and her approach and the versatility uh, that encompasses uh, the work that she creates. Uh, in Kitchen Dance, it's inspired by the original Frankfurt Kitchen in the permanent collection of the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Uh, the director and cinematographer, Mary Beth Romslow, created a kitchen set and produced a conceptual short dance film that explores the multidimensional lives of women in their work. Through modern movement, kitchen dance examines the complex demands women still face today in pursuit of their own aspirations at home and in the workplace. You can view Kitchen Dance on our website right now. Just go to moonplaycinema.org and click on where to from here and uh, find Mary Beth's name. And there you go. You can have a view of the film um, before or after. Uh, you can pause if you like, but definitely listen to this conversation. Yeah, so my name is Mary Beth Romslow and I am a filmmaker, a storyteller. Uh, I live in the Twin Cities, mm -hmm. and m primarily my medium is film and video, but I have also been exploring audio stories. I do some comic art from time to time, but I think just at my core, I, I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. I love listening to stories. I love understanding uh, people through stories. So I think through all the different mediums, I'm a storyteller. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, you know, I, I, with my experience of knowing your work, I've always appreciated sort of the, the diversity in your storytelling and also just the ways in which, uh, you explore storytelling. You have, like you mentioned, audio stories and also more traditional storytelling. Uh, and then, um, you know, uh, one of the projects that we're featuring here with Moonplay is Kitchen Dance. And, mm -hmm. and I knew, know that was sort of a newer form for you. And I love to be able to talk about Kitchen Dance some more. But I'm wondering about like, when did you first start? Do you work full time as a filmmaker, um, storyteller? Um, sure. So, you know, I've kind of always been an artist. Uh, my grandfather was a hobby photographer and he gave me my first camera when I was 12. Mm. And he, uh, he had a, a dark room, a closet that he turned into a dark room where he developed pictures and taught me how to do that. And so I, I really had my start as a still photographer uh, and was always taking photographs and uh, studied photojournalism in college and and then worked in magazines in New York and then kind of transitioned into my own still photography business, which I, I, I did pretty exclusively for about 10 years. Uh, and then I was really getting this itch to like move into motion. I, I never went to film school. I still haven't gone to film school, but I kind of knew that I wanted to take uh, my storytelling past still images. So I probably now about eight years ago or maybe nine years ago, I started really experimenting on my own and, you know, the lucky thing is that DSLRs at the time, digital DSLRs had this sort of like ad hoc add-on video ver video yep. capability. Yeah. Um, it it wasn't perfect, but it lets you sort of explore. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I made the jump and leap was I just started making some short films uh, with my DSLR and exploring there and really got hooked, like just loved the world of motion, loved how much I had to learn. I had so much to learn about uh, audio and editing and, and, you know, non still storytelling where it, it, yeah. it has, you have to move people through an experience. So 
I really am self-taught and it's been a, it's been an evolution and a journey. And I, I mostly, I don't, I mean, I mostly only take stills on my, on my phone now. <laughs> so I, I'm yeah. pretty much a motion, motion storyteller, or audio storyteller, uh, both artistically and professionally. And so I do a combo of things. People say, Oh, what kind of films do you make? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've made documentaries. I've made narratives. I've made commercials. I've, I've made this conceptual dance film. Um, mm-hmm. I just like to follow a good story. So I don't kind of have like a set. I'm o- I only make documentaries kind of thing or, yeah. Um, I, I just like to follow curiosities with story and figure out what medium and what format that has. Um, and I think it can be applied to a lot of things. So I do make a full-time living as uh, a media maker, mm-hmm. uh, and that takes on the form of, you know, making commercials and making films for companies or nonprofits. And then I pursue a lot of my own artistic work, like kitchen dance and other passion projects that uh, I have a little bit more full control creatively over. Yeah, yeah, I'm always, I'm excited to um, share you uh, within uh, the Moonplay community. You know, it just you have such a a vast your experience is so vast, and um, and it also goes to show the ways in which you can be as a as a media maker. Um, and I think that brings a lot of possibility into um, representation, which I think is is really important. I think the other piece I was thinking about is just sort of that process as a, as a artist that, you know, Mm -hmm. you, um, as a photographer, uh, you know, um, kind of live that life as a photographer and it worked for you and it felt good. And, and, and it was, um, the sort of where you were then. And then I think the sort of the evolution of an artist is like, Oh, what, what else can I do? Mm -hmm. Or like, don't (laughs) let yourself get bored, keep on growing. Right. Don't get stagnant and, um, and try something. And I, I love that you were like, I'm going to do this film thing. (laughs) What kind of resources did you use to start, um, making those short films other than the, other than sort of the DSLR. Yeah. Um, Like, how did you start like connecting with others to even build a crew when you hadn't done that before? That's a great question. I mean, there were at the time, a lot of actually like DSLR filmmaker resources for kind of scrappy getting self-started and, uh, you know, pressing record instead of clicking, clicking the shutter. And so I dove into a lot of those over the internet, took some workshops. I mean, just tried to learn, but really learned by doing is the best way and studying other people, what they're doing and uh, asking questions. So I did a lot of that in the early days. And then a friend of mine who's an actor and a writer, she <laughs> she posted on Facebook that she wanted to make her own film, but she didn't know how. And I was like, oh, I could help. <laughs> and so, so that. that took me down a road of what I thought was a short film, which grew into a feature uh, we, you know, had a Kickstarter that we raised all the money for production. We uh, qualified for Snowbait in Minnesota, which yeah. let us help pay for post. And so that film was called Dragonfly, and it's a, it's a tiny independent feature narrative about a mom and a daughter um, finding and understanding each other. And that really was my crash course. That was my film school. I had no idea what I was doing. Is <laughs> <laughs> the truth looking back? But that I, you know, we found amazing production partners here in town. We were a little village, a little family that made that film that summer. And I really think uh, just just learning alongside people like that is really kind of how I started building community on the motion side of things. And just, you know, trying to be a good collaborator. You know, even though I was directing, I, I knew that I was green and I had a lot to learn from other people and their experiences. So so that project in particular kind of really launched me. And I think of that as my film school, even though I didn't get to go yeah. to film school um, because I just, you learned by doing and by making mistakes and by learning that filmmaking is just decision after decision after decision. Yeah. And you have to learn how to just make decisions and know that some of them are not going to, you're going to be decisions that you're going to go, oh, well, I would have done that differently if I would have known differently, but now I know differently. Yeah. So um, you can't be afraid of decisions. Um, you can tell a decision to like go back in the line a little bit further and come back to me. But I think that's one thing I love about this medium is it's a constant way to like make creative decisions all the time that impact each other. Yeah. And then also like the decisions of who you bring on your team impact what the work is creatively too. And I think that's so beautiful. I love that it's like collaborative like that. 
I've never really been much of a sports person. I joke with my kids who do play sports. I, I say like, it's like, oh, what, oh, what, which sports ball are we playing right now? And, <laughs> but for me, like, I feel like filmmaking is my team sport because yeah. there is so much collaboration in it. And I, I think I understand how they feel about their basketball team mm-hmm. um, and sort of the, the interplay and the camaraderie and the teamwork there, because I've done that on film sets. Yeah. Yeah. I, two things I want to say, you don't have to go to film school. No, so like tell like people listening, if you haven't Mm-mm. gone to film school and either you're a filmmaker or you're like emerging or you, that's like your dream to do this thing. You don't need to go to film school. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, I mean, we have so many ways to make films now uh, via video and our cell phones and our, mm-hmm. uh, you know, point and shoot cameras, if it comes down to it um, yeah. and our DSLRs. And, um, and if you want to get more, more sophisticated, those resources are out there, but, um, um, I think uh, your story alone um, just shows that uh, um, have an idea, have an ambition um, and um, look for opportunities. Like you yeah. just never know Facebook, you're just saw a post and you're like, here we go. You know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's well, beautiful. And I, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of work. I, I gravitate towards sometimes working with youth, either in the stories that I'm telling, or I've done some stuff where, you know, I had to, uh, interns uh, that were high school students one summer that I was working on a project and they came on set and, you know, gave them roles of things to do and let them be part of the process and feel very much like, you know, you don't have to wait for permission. Like, mm. you know, some magic wand that says you're ready to make a film, like you're never ready. So you just like make it and you make it with the, the, the tools that you have. You don't have to wait till you can shoot on a red or an Amira. Those are great, but like, they're just tools. And so is the 4k uh, video tool that you carry around in your pocket every day, all the cell phones. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that we sometimes get hung up on the details of Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I need this in order to be ready to actually make a film. And it's really, it's all the gear is just tools. The story is Mm -hmm. what's important and the point of view is what's important. And that's you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, the other thing I was going to um, touch upon uh, that uh, resonated me when you, when you were speaking um, was connected to kitchen dance and the mm-hmm. fact that uh, around collaboration mm-hmm. uh, and and also experimentalism uh, in dance film and mm-hmm. uh, and I and I think about. Um, traditional experimental film and that's such a horrible way to to uh, you know um summarize um mm-hmm. the history um there really isn't a tradition but there's some like you know structure there's been some structures put in place i think yeah. institutions or whatever happened people that, that have way. gone before yes yes exactly <laughs> um you kind of want to defy those in experimental cinema um but i you know they're often you know in the, they're on their own you know, they're mm-hmm. with their own camera. They don't have a crew. Maybe mm. they might have somebody helping here or there, but for the most part, this is mm-hmm. their stuff and they're alone. And I work that way. A lot of other filmmakers work mm-hmm. that way. Um, but that isn't the only way to create experimental works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wanted to bring in kitchen dance and your practice into the conversation of moon play, um, because I know your methods and also the type of of uh, films that you make, um, uh, there's a sense of um, your values come out in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see the collaboration that that's important, but also the types of maybe themes or topics or what have you. Um, and so Kitchen Dance is experimental, it mm-hmm. is um, collaborative, um, and it's thematic. So I just wonder. Um, mm-hmm if we could just kind of move into talking about kitchen dance a little bit um, and then we can talk more about process and any, any other uh, projects maybe that you're working on now. Um, Sure. Yeah. So tell me more about kitchen dance, how that came to be um, and how it's living right now. Yeah. So it really came to be out of a, a coffee date with a a friend, Chris Thayer, who works at the uh, Minneapolis Institute of Arts at MIA. She had been trying to work on a project with the Frankfurt Kitchen that is at the at the museum. And the Frankfurt Kitchen was a this sort of this kitchen that was designed in the 1920s by an Austrian architect named Margaret Schutelahotsky. And she was the first Austrian woman architect. And she designed this kitchen to make women's work more efficient. 
um, that was at a time where they, they needed to be freed for, to pursue economic things outside the home. And so kitchen work needed, she was trying to use architecture and design to help make their lives um, more efficient so they could do all the things. And um, so there's a, there is an original Frankfurt kitchen. It's kind of like a landmark in, um, in architecture, interior architecture and Taylorism, but it, there's one at the museum here in Minneapolis and there's one at MoMA and the rest are in actual kitchens in Germany and throughout Europe. Uh, but it, 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 this was the inspiration for an idea that my friend Chris wanted to do something involving dance in the kitchen at the museum. That didn't work out for a number of reasons. Partly it's an archival kitchen, <laughs> partly uh, limited access because it, 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 you couldn't have a large audience watch it the way that it's set up at the museum. So she was sort of saying, oh, I really thought there was something there. And I was like, well, we could make a film. Like we could turn it into a film. She's like, I really don't, I don't think they're going to let you shoot in there. I was like, oh no, we'll just build a set or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We'll just build a replica. Like, and again, I have this theme of like, I don't know what I'm talking about there. I've never done that, but I'm sure you can find people. That's the collaboration. Um, yeah. You can find people that they do know how to do that and they want to do that. So, so we started going down this road and I applied for a Minnesota Arts Board Artist Initiative grant with the project idea of saying, let's build a replica of Frankfurt Kitchen. Let's have this dance that happens in it. And it's this conceptual dance film. And because the, the Frankfurt Kitchen, historically and architecturally, it was really about the work of women. Um, and I explore a lot of themes about women and our roles in society uh, in my work. It felt really natural to sort of explore that within the dance and within the dance that happens in the film. So that was where it started. I mean, that was at this point, I think four years ago, and mm -hmm. then he applied for the grant. I got the grant that supported the project. And, uh, we went from there and then I had to find somebody to build the set because <laughs> uh, so, I didn't know how to really do that well. So I was so lucky to find a collaborator, um, in Tom Burgess, who is the stagecraft a professor at Normandale Community College. And it still to this day astounds me why he said yes to this crazy <laughs> endeavor, but he did. And he did such a beautiful job and we were able to actually film it at Normandale Community College. The, the whole set was built on the stage there during a downtime in their, their play productions, yeah. theatrical productions. And we actually were able to involve some classes at Normandale. They were ah. able to come and like watch production. And then I visited a couple of classrooms to talk about filmmaking. Oh, that's as part great. of as part of the arrangement, and it was wonderfully collaborative because students worked on the build and mm. learned really different things than sometimes they build for uh, theatrical production where things aren't you know nobody's going to see it really mm -hmm. close up. Yeah, um, it, it required a sort of different level of detail and functionality for what we were doing. So that was a really interesting part of the process. And then uh, I have I've done I've actually I gravitate to a lot of dance stuff too. I've done a lot of mm. documentary dance, but this was my first time doing dance where the the dance was for the film and I was directing, you know, the dance. I wasn't just following a dancer doing what they do. Yeah. So I have worked before with Zoe Henro, who is the artistic director at Ballet Collaboratory on documentary dance. Mm. And so I approached Zoe and just said, you know, I've got this project. I think you'd be perfect to, you know, choreograph it and help shape the dance. Uh, because again, I mean, I'm not a dancer. So yeah. these things, the, the, the collaboration theme keeps coming up because I have ideas of things I want to do, but I don't build sets. I don't choreograph, you know, so you have to find partners that are passionate and experts at that. And so Zoe came on board, loved the idea and helped find the different dancers that appear in the film. Um, it was really important to us to have like a diversity of uh, ethnicities, but also dance styles yeah. um, and, and really sort of show that basically the story that happens in the film, it's almost as if these six different women are one woman doing a continuous dance, but they all have very different styles and movement, but they all follow the same path. Mm -hmm. um, and then we cut between them. So that's, um, and there were lots of other collaborators along the way that helped make it happen, helped make it happen. But those, um, those really Chris and Tom and Zoe were instrumental in like making the vision come to life yeah. and be possible. Yeah. Um, one of the two things when I first watched it, I was like, oh my gosh, they were able to do that. And Mia, 
<laughs> you know, you know, I was like, oh, like there's there's flower going everywhere, and yeah. like dancing. And so I was like, and then I realized I was like, this is probably a set. Yeah. Um, and uh uh the other part is I, my interpretation is mm-hmm. that it's all six different women um, mm-hmm. and that it's those connections to the movements and the gestures mm-hmm. and the space and just sort of the day-to-day mm-hmm. of that sort of, I don't know, the institution of the kitchen yes, um, and also the institution of domesticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I saw that, but also that when it comes down to it, um, sort of the, the ways in which, um, the kitchen or society has defined that space as feminine or what have mm-hmm. you, um, it, there's those connections there, no matter the difference or mm-hmm. no matter, um, where you, um, you know, what culture you are from or what have you, there's those similarities, um, in terms of space and movement, um, and how we use the mm-hmm. kitchen. Very true. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And, well, and, and different. I think on your, on your point of like the six women, yeah, we talked a lot about that with yeah. the dance and the story of, of wanting there to be this interplay and push pull between you know, the beauty in our similarities and the beauty in our differences, both. And, you know, what is common, even though we might be very different and what is different, even though we might have things in common. Yeah. And that there was a lot of like conversation with how the the choreography took shape about push pull and duality. And I think that I really loved that because at times it did feel like it was like, every woman, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it felt like, no, but they're all very distinct too. Yeah. And I, I loved that interplay and yeah. what we brought to it. Um, and then very much too thought a lot about that idea of the domesticity of the kitchen, how, mm-hmm. you know, historically it's maybe been thought of as a woman's place that is changing, but it is, it's, it's ingrained in us a bit mm-hmm. and the push pull in that too, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's some of that, that's a burden, And there's some of that that's beautiful and wonderful and a place of pride. And, you know, you know, you you might find therapy in baking Mm -hmm. bread in your kitchen. So Mm -hmm. I I think it's, it's the duality that really attracted me to this idea around all those things about femininity and and womanhood and also uh, the domesticity of kitchen and women's roles Mm -hmm. in society and at home. Um, there was just a lot to think about there and to really explore. And I feel like this experimental format was just so ripe for that mm-hmm. um, because it, it allowed for you to just say, it allowed for you to acknowledge the complexity without having to say it is this yeah. because it is many things. And I really loved that about this project in general, just both in my head and how it made me think about things, Yeah, but also how you translate it artistically. Yeah. So right after I watched, like I watched kitchen dance this morning, I was like, I'm going to watch it again, um, (laughs) just to kind of have it fresh on my mind. Um, but also immediately after I finished watching it, I went on YouTube and I found, um, Martha Rosler's semiotics of the kitchen. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't know. Um, I YouTube it. Okay. Um, and it, it, I think it was made in like 1975. Okay. It's, it's like, it's maybe like a little over six minutes long. Um, it's considered like one of the, you know, I don't know, uh, if we were to think about like feminist uh, film or feminist theory or feminist um, mm-hmm. whatever, <laughs> it's one of the leading um, sort of films of that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and I, it's basically Martha in a kitchen um, and um it can be kind of a dance, mm-hmm. uh, but she's stationary and she's going through different objects that mm-hmm. are tools in the kitchen mm-hmm. um, and uh, making noise with them, um, moving her body with them. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I bring it up because I was like, oh my gosh, um, this film was made in 1975 mm-hmm. and it was sort of almost like a, a commentary, but also a, a defiance to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the roles in which um, those objects play in mm-hmm. a woman's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I look at that and, and how um, sort of this, this container or this box that was that film um, mm-hmm. and how it still can connect to today. 
Um, but also we're at a point where with a film like yours, um, where the kitchen's not going to go away, right? Mm-hmm. The kitchen mm-hmm. and our role to um, whether um, you're, you know, how you um, mm-hmm. move in that space, whether man, woman, trans, binary, mm-hmm. non-binary, what have you, we are still using our kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we're still using the same tools. Um, and I see that beauty if, if there's a ways, ways in which that space is become ours mm-hmm. rather than, you know, it being the woman's place in it. And it, it's, it's a multi, um, there's multiplicity into the yeah. space. I was just thinking about sort of that comparison and I know you haven't seen it. So I, it's unfair <laughs> for me to be like, Hey, what do you think about that? Um, yeah. but I immediately thought about sort of that history. Cause you, you, your film does talk about history, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. where we are today. And, um, and I, I just was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and look at that. And I, well, no, I do want to watch that. It yeah. seems so related. And I, I thought a lot about that too, in the process of making kitchen dance, which was, you know, so we're coming up soon on a hundred years since Margaret Shchilohatsky designed this revolutionary kitchen for women with women in mind. It was designed by a woman for women to solve a problem for women. Yeah. Um, and it, I've often wondered like, yes, we've, we've changed and grown and things, some things have changed, but there's some things that are very, you know, that haven't. And, um, even though we may evolve to have partners that are sharing the load more, um, and that is becoming more of the norm. Um, it, there's still this sense of multitasking that, that feels put on um, women, both ourselves and society, uh, to spin all the plates. I have used that phrase a lot, like just, oh, I feel like I'm spinning a bunch of plates right now and I hope none of them drop. And, yeah. um, and there's beauty in the multitasking, but there's also sort of like uh, sometimes burden and exhaustion. And so, there's points at which we talked in the choreography about making sure there felt like there were moments of rest Mm. and that it wasn't always motion. Um, so, and I've been thinking a lot about that in my life, um, my own personal life with the balance of all that with two school age kids and a career and, you know, where do, where do we rest? Where do we dance? Where is there rest in the dance? So this, this project really took me in a lot of like mental gymnastics about all of these concepts. And I wouldn't say that I have like a, a resolution exactly how I know how I feel. I don't, I don't think that's the point. I think it's the point was to explore. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so with kitchen dance, I know it experienced a pause in terms of being able to share it, uh, with the world. So uh, what was that, you know, what, what was that pause like, um, I know you were about to screen it with, at Mia. So. Yeah. Yeah. So M- Mia was such an amazing partner throughout, even though we couldn't film in their archival kitchen that you have to walk into with like white gloves and stuff. Definitely couldn't have thrown flour around the archival kitchen. <laughs> so that was the beauty of what that constraint brought was that it, we built a set that was meant for it. But all along the build process, like the, their curators helped us come and measure things and make sure we were like getting the right paint color. And like, they were just wonderful mm. supporters of it. And as part of that support, they wanted to screen it at Mia in um, March 19th, 2020. Everything shut down. Right? Yes. Yes. As part of um, women's history month, oh. uh, they had a bunch of programming for women's history that it was going to be a part of. And uh, it was going to be a really special event where we yeah. screened it. We talked about the process with Tom and Zoe and Chris and, uh, and then curator, we would be able to go and actually visit the actual kitchen. So maybe that will happen again someday when we gather in theaters again yeah. more often and safely, but that really obviously had to shut down and be canceled given the timing of what happened in the world. So that was hard. I mean, I, this is, yeah. this is one of my, my biggest projects that I'm most proud of. Um, and it was going to screen at a major art, art museum, a world renowned art museum. Yeah. That was like a big thing as an artist for me. So there was a lot of heartbreak about that. Yeah. Honestly, like that was, that was a really hard part of early pandemic. And, um, and grief is not comparative. There's a lot of stuff that was going on in the world that was very tragic and hard, but you can still feel sad about yeah. something that is, isn't necessarily um, connected to the pandemic, but it was, it was affected by the pandemic. So, so yes, things sort of had to pause or really just sort of hold. And 
um, decided to release it then um, just on the Kitchen Dance website instead so people could watch it while they were spending a lot of time in their kitchens early in the pandemic. That's so true. <laughs> so true. Everyone and then I did their a, own flower. In there. Totally, totally. <laughs> And, um, and, and, you know, really in 2020, people reconnected with their kitchens really interestingly. We were all at home so much Mm -hmm. going out to eat wasn't necessarily always an option or felt, didn't feel safe. And so, um, I think people got reacquainted with their kitchens really interestingly. And so it was, it was a very topical piece that I didn't realize that 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 would be, but I, I, so I released it online on the website where anyone can watch it. And, um, and then I also really did a bunch of outreach, uh, to find recipe stories that are also on the website. So there's a collection of recipe stories connected to important women in people's lives. So I invited people that I know, and then I got submissions from people that I don't know too, but saying, if there's an important woman in your life, I'd love to have you submit a recipe that you think of when you think of that woman and tell her story. And so I started with my own grandmother who, um, she, she was a, just a fearless woman who inspired me a lot and influenced me a lot. She was a pilot. She had her own airplane Oh, cool! and she would like, <laughs> my dad tells stories about how he would like come home from school and there'd be a note on the kitchen counter and it would say flew to St. Louis dinners in the fridge. See you tomorrow. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. So, so she was kind of this, like, we were really close and she was this fearless woman that just mm. totally inspires me. And I think of her all the time. My daughter's, sure. my daughter's named, um, after her and, um, and I put her recipe up, which she always made this black cherry jello. So mm. any family gathering, I mean, and literally it was just black cherry jello with black cherries in it. That's it. <laughs> There was nothing fancy about it, but it was Nana's Jello, and we always made it, and she always served it in these like crystal, crystal cup things. Um, and she passed um, years ago, but we still make Nana's Jello for like every yeah. family gathering. And and I thought about too about how we carry on these women and their legacies. Yes. Um, sometimes through food, like sometimes yeah. through these recipes that you're always gonna think of. Yeah. Um, connected to these important women. So there's about 40 recipes on the website. Wow. You can submit one. There's a tool. Yeah. There's just a form where anybody can submit a story. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I want to do that. So so how, what is the website? So the website is kitchendanceproject.com. Awesome. So um, you can watch the film on there. You can read more about the project. You can go to these recipe stories and they're, they're really from all over the world. Um, you know, really interesting, like rhubarb cake and yeah. Samoas and, um, yeah. mussels and white wine and sourdough oh. pancakes. Oh. I mean, there's all kinds, uh, all kinds yeah. of recipes, but really it's the stories about the women that yes. I think are yeah. so fascinating and how much love you feel mm-hmm. comes through these recipes and these stories and carrying on their so legacy. comforting. So yeah. comforting. Yeah. I'm immediately thinking of my mom and the rosettes oh. she used to make. And I, mm-hmm. when she passed away, I inherited her rosettes, oh. um, iron things or yeah. whatever. like, I, and I, I still haven't used them, but they, they are in my kitchen cabinet. Whenever I see them, I think of mm-hmm. her, you know, so yes. Yeah. Um, and then I have the story of my mom, you know, yeah. from that, those, 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 those instruments, um, but also, yeah. um, uh, the memories. Um, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. Um, so that's how folks can interact with kitchen dance right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be able to do some in-person screenings to continue sharing the work. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to be able to see it up on the big screen someday. Mm. You know, um, I'm glad that for the, I'm grateful for the accessibility of the internet to be able to yeah. share and connect that way, but there's nothing quite like seeing something on a screen. And this one, especially, I think, um, I was able, we did have like a, a, a tech check test screening at, mm. at me, a test screen with the projector, like on mm-hmm. March 11th, you know, mm. and it was, there was definitely a sense of like, is this really going to happen? <laughs> well, we should, we should make yeah. sure it works on the projector and yeah. it's really beautiful. And it was cool to see it so large. Yeah. So I look forward to someday that happening. Um, yeah. But for now, yeah, you can see it on the website, kitchendanceproject.com. Yeah. You can read more about Margaret Schutzelahotsky. You can um, read other people's recipe stories and make their their stories. You can submit your own. Yeah. Um, there's also some behind the scenes stuff to see, like how a little bit more about how we made the project. Lovely. 
Yeah. And actually, interestingly, this project kind of keeps taking on interesting new life because um, the, the kid, the set that we built uh, actually is now installed at Franconia Sculpture Park outdoors. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah, okay, so, everyone needs to go to Franconia and check yes. this out. Yeah. So a uh, Tom, um, who built the set and I, um, just installed it in July of oh. 2021. So we kept the pieces and parts and we're wondering if there was a future for it. Yeah. There, there was initially thought that maybe Zoe would want to use it for, a a live performance, but then the world shut down. And mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so we held on to it and then um, received, actually, I received a Jerome finalist grant mm. and used the funds to support installing Yay. it at Franconia. So um, it's at Franconia Outdoors. It has sort of like a, a pretty amazing, like bus stop style structure built around it to protect it from the elements. Yeah. Um, and you can view it outdoors in a field. Um, and there, yeah. And you that's can actually, amazing. yeah, you can scan a QR code. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the exhibit, uh, and watch the film right there, right in the kitchen. That's so cool. And, um, and now it's living outdoors and people can, st- <laughs> can continue to engage with it. Um, yes. you could even do, um, public performances. Yes, you could <laughs> potentially. So, so yeah. we could go back out there. That's um, right. That's amazing. So I'll make sure to have a link to Franconia as well in the show notes. Um, So um, one of the themes of this uh, season's episodes um, came up through a conversation or almost a curiosity that Hannah Homelian had. She's one of the other artists from Mm -hmm. this season. And she is just really curious about when artists um, feel like a project is finished. Like, how did Mm -hmm. you know Kitchen Dance was done? You know what I mean? Like, like what, like with any project, how do you know? That's a great question. Um, usually it's because there's some sort of deadline that you're trying to, meet. (laughs) (laughs) you know, and in this case, you know, I finished kitchen dance on March 7th or 8th because I knew I had the screening coming up on March 19th. Yeah. So, um, nothing like a deadline. Uh, and I'll, then sometimes for other projects, it's because, you know, you want to submit it to some festival or so for me, I'm very deadline motivated and that's sort of when I tend to know it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, you can always go back and you can always iterate, but I think there's something about a deadline helping you understand the priorities of the project. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't know. I I think that all that, that those pressures and those constraints actually for me make more creativity. Yeah. So, um, it, it's hard for me on projects that are really long and unending and you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate a deadline personally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, a, I am sometimes a creative procrastinator, so I get right up to the edge, but, uh, there's, I think it also helps you crystallize and clarify when you are mm-hmm. up to the edge. Like, is this really important? Do I really feel this way? Is this really how I want it to be? Yeah. Um, so there's something about that pressure that helps me know when I'm done, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We all work differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think once you start sharing it with people, um, it starts to feel real and complete. Yeah. Uh, But I think great projects like this one end up having a life of their own. Like it, it lives on with the the set nearly two years later now in a field. (laughs) So it's, it's different. It's, I wouldn't have imagined that we did that, but (laughs) But because the pathways sort of went that way, um, that part of the project, you know, wasn't done until now. So it's so great. I love hearing that. Yeah. Um, So uh, moving like uh, towards um, the future, Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, um, what's um, what are some of the questions or curiosities um, that you have going Mm -hmm. forward as an artist, you know? Where to from here for you as an artist? Yeah. Um, I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that this pause in the world has, has, has made me wonder, like, you know, do I need to, do I need to be making in the same way that I was before? I don't know. Mm. Uh, I've explored a lot more audio storytelling in the pandemic, which I've really, really enjoyed. Um, and I've been working on a project, uh, telling, uh, 
recording youth audio stories about the pandemic mm. uh, through a, a program called The Wildling, which is a youth storytelling organization. They kind of help help youth understand how to tell a story and how to perform a story sort of in like a story uh-huh. slam, yeah, uh, open mic style. And uh, we've, we have about 30 stories from youth that are audio recordings of them telling stories their stories from the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's been a really intriguing project. And I, there's something there, you know, when you just kind of know, you're like, Oh, I think that we can go deeper. We can yeah. do more with this. Um, and I wonder about turning those audio recordings actually into animations Oh, yeah. Uh, where there's animated um, content that goes with the youth voices. Um, so I think there's future in that for me. I don't have it fully formed, but I know it's something, a project that I keep thinking about and keep germinating on. And what are the possibilities for it, for telling our stories? In fact, actually, um, so on the anniversary of the 20th anniversary of September 11th, a couple of weeks ago, um, I lived in New York City on September 11th, Mm. 20 years ago. And I wrote this email to friends like three weeks later, this very long email, kind of chronicling my experiences. And uh, I read it every year on September 11th, just as my way to reflect and remember. And so this year, um, I recorded audio of my oh. voice reading it. Yeah, and I had it's, it feels silly to say I didn't realize how powerful it would be because sure. uh, I'm a storyteller and I help other people tell stories and I tell stories all the time, but a lot of times it's not my voice. Yeah, and it was a really powerful experience to hear to, to do that. And mm-hmm. um, I I'm realizing that with this project with the youth too about how empowering it is um, to be heard like that. Yeah. 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 I think it's important as, um, as a practitioner of this form, you know, to, um, to experience that same Mm -hmm. thing that we're encouraging others to do, right. Um, tell your story or tell some part of your life, uh, through this medium. And, um, I feel like that's one of the most powerful tools of, of media Mm -hmm. is the, um, the ability to, um, be subjective with this work and to Mm -hmm. however you decide to use it or how you share it, it can be only for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but it can also, it, it can be amazing for others. Um, and so, um, I'm, I love that you do that work. Um, thank you for doing that work. What else do you have going on? Well, um, that's a good question too. I mean, I've been working on a, uh, on a bunch of corporate commercial stuff. Um, there is the reality of being a working artist that you, you need to pay the bills, um, and have opportunities to collaborate in that way. Yeah. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of commercial work. It's been mostly all remote. So it's done a lot through zoom with, um, uh, camera people on the other side that you're directing. So that's kind of a wild new experience too, because I directed, um, a, a, part of a spot part of a editorial piece that was part of the Super Bowl pregame show on CBS sports and, um, in January and it was, nobody could travel. It had to be all mm. local production. So I was directing through zoom and I had a earbud in the cinematographer's ear and mm. I would say, and they had a, a tear deck with a camera feed to zoom. And so I would say, okay, let's pan up. And it would just pan up and I'd be like, oh, let's wow. hold there. And he was just listening. And I say, okay, let's, you know, and so it was, um, it was kind of a wild sort of like brave yeah. new world of production where that's happening a lot more Yeah, where, um, the director, the client, you know, they're not, they're not traveling in for safety's sake, in a pandemic, yeah. but also yeah. realizing that things can get done quick, quickly, more quickly and differently that way. Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of that work, um, in my commercial space and, um, and kind of just trying to figure out what's next. Like I, from a, I don't have like another big kitchen dance, big project on my mind yet, Yeah, but I just am sort of trying to be open for when, when the stars align for that, because I do yeah. think I, I do best, um, when I have, when I have something on the horizon. Yeah. And I think the last year and a half, I've had to give myself permission that like, it's okay that you don't have that next big thing because the world's sort of in a very strange place. And I had so kids, true kids homeschool, you know, distance learning from home. And there was a lot to juggle, a lot of plates to spin, but very differently. So I think as we get back to figuring out how we, how we move forward with production in, in the time of, you know, a pandemic, um, I'll I'll get more clear on what I want to do next, but right now I'm, I'm just trying to 
I'm focusing probably mostly this winter on these audio stories and what possibilities those have. I think, I think audio, I I don't think I'll ever fully abandon filmmaking and visuals, but Mm -hmm. there's something so intimate and beautiful about audio and uh, some just interesting possibilities there. And when you said, you know, like before about, oh, you don't want to get stagnant and you want to keep growing. It does feel kind of, even though it's like stripping down from filmmaking, Mm -hmm. it does feel like a new chapter to be like, well, Mm -hmm. But if you lose the visuals, you have to tell stories differently in the audio. And then, like I said, animation is of interest. I'm not really an animator, but I, I, I think I could explore how some of that starts working into my work. And I'd love to learn more about animation. Mm -hmm. So I think that might be in the future, but I don't have it crystallized around a specific project yet. (laughs) No, but that's exciting. That's a possibility and, and, um, lifelong learning, you know, um, and to Mm -hmm. continue to um, be as diverse as you are as a media storyteller, media maker. um, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really important that you continue to do that. um, Yeah. uh, And to grow and to, you know, share your talents in new ways. Um, I did read on your website that um, you were working on um, a project for Hello Sunshine. Um, Is that still happening? That was actually several years ago. So um, that project wrapped, but that's available on Hello Sunshine. That's Reese Witherspoon's new media network. That was a documentary miniseries about creative women in the Midwest, actually. Mm -hmm. So there's six stories about different creative women and how they live their creative lives. It's called Handmade Mostly. And it can be found on the Hello Sunshine web, Hello Sunshine website. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe their direct TV channel too. I'm not exactly sure, but it's it's fully accessible. You don't have to have direct TV. You can just watch it on the website. But there's some great stories about different creative philosophies there too, and how yeah. those creative women live their creative lives. So that was a really special special project. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'll make sure to have a link. I'll have all the links to Mary Beth. <laughs> um, so anything else you want to share? Any um, last uh, conversational pieces? Well, I just, I mean, I think that, that I've been very inspired by this conversation. It's nice to like, just take a pause and talk about um, creative process. We don't always take time to do that. So yeah. I appreciate you inviting me to do that. Jess, this has been really lovely, but I think just as people are listening, um, I don't know. I think that, I think it really strikes me that we are in an age where like, you don't have to wait for permission to be a storyteller Mm. um, or have all the perfect proper training or anything like that. I just think it's important to like, you know, if you feel the the desire to express, find your tool and express. Um, And I'm just trying to continue to live my life that way creatively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, recently we, we were, my husband and I met with a financial planner to figure out some stuff for, you know, our future and retirement and things like that. And it's very interesting to be like, I don't really know that I'll ever fully retire. Mm. Like I love this life and I love making work and I love, I mean, maybe who knows where I'll be in 20, 30 years, how I'll feel about that sentiment. But it, it, it was harder for me to imagine like retirement. Sure. And because, you know, it's not like I'm in a corporate job and I, I'm looking for an end date. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking to keep evolving and staying creatively engaged and yeah. hopefully making money with that when I can. Yeah. Um, but I think it was, it was like a, actually a really interesting thing to think about. I was like, well, but what if you never want to retire? What if you just want to <laughs> keep making work yeah. forever? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is, um, I think the life of the artist. I yeah. That's, um, I've met so many people over the years, um, folks who've gone into retirement, who had jobs that were not mm-hmm. connected to the arts and all they wanted to do was to dedicate their life mm-hmm. to arts once they retired. Yeah. Um, and I think that's beautiful. And you're also in a position as a, you know, full-time artist now to know what it brings you. And mm-hmm. I can imagine when you do in quotations re- retire um, that you'll be making all kinds of kitchen dances. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? All those personal projects that yeah. bring so much joy. Yeah. I bet that it will be sort of yeah. a part of your retirement. Um, yeah. And then taking little projects here or there. I, I mean, I could just see the potential in that for you. And um, yeah. and I think about that my, myself as an artist who is a full-time artist, but has her hands and all kinds of different things uh, to mm-hmm. make a living. So, um, but I hope, yeah, when you, re- when I retire that I'm going to be painting, I'm going to yeah. 
creating art. I'm going to be creating video. I'm going to, whatever my mind or my hand or my eye wants to do, you know? So yeah, that's the beauty of being an artist. And Oh, I think so too. And just having it be a lifelong journey, not a destination. Yeah. That resonates a lot more in me. Like, you know, I think it will grow and change and I'm not sure I'll always, I mean, like filmmaking, especially like days on set with like big crews, they're exhausting. So I'm not sure it, you know, 20, 20, 30 years from now, me will want to do that maybe, but, but it will grow and change. And I think there's awesome possibility in that. And I think, yeah, the life of an artist, if you have that mindset, is that what's so exciting is like, you have no idea what's in store for those Mm -hmm. years. And these projects like kitchen dance that will become so important to you that will become almost just a part of your life. Yeah. That, um, that's actually the possibility in that is super exciting. Like I'm, I'm so excited for all the projects, these big projects like this that I haven't met yet. Yeah. Oh, what a great way to end this conversation, Mary Beth. So inspirational and, uh, appreciate your time today. Um, and, um, just having this moment with you, um, we'll see each other in person again, uh, yes. sometime soon. Um, so thank you again. Um, all right. Thanks, Jess. It was awesome. <laughs> I am so thankful for this conversation with Mary Beth. Uh, So appreciate her honesty and being open and sharing about her artwork, uh, but also about her process and uh, some of the goals uh, that she's been working on. And I'm really curious about the animation uh, and the drawing uh, that she's been doing. So I definitely uh, want to check back in with Mary Beth. I do hope uh, that we'll be able to have a, a kitchen dance screening in person or a screening to feature uh, some of Mary Beth's artwork. Where To From Here is a podcast presented by Moon Play Cinema, a community of radical generosity, growth, and visibility. Stay tuned for more episodes. We have a number of conversations with other local filmmakers to the Twin Cities. Appreciate everyone's time and community uh, by uh, talking and being open and uh, connecting. See you later.